It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke with Scott Shepard, a man who was once in the KKK and now calls himself a reformed racist. We spoke with him after the mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo and after the shooting targeting Taiwanese churchgoers in Southern California. He took us really through his life, his own journey toward hate and racism in the South in the 70s and 80s, even though he was raised by a black woman. And of course, he walked us through his path out of that ideology. He says he does pay some attention now to mass shooters and hate crimes and offers a glimpse into what some of them may be grappling with, but is not a case studying expert. He says he just shares his story now and connects with those who helped him on a journey toward forgiving himself. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but we thought you might like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here's Scott Shepard on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Scott, uh, my name's Jessica. Thank you for joining us. Uh, why don't you give us your name and whatever title you want us to use for the podcast? Okay, uh, Scott Shepard. And uh, I called myself a reform racist because that's exactly what I was. I was a racist at one time. Do you run an organization now or are you just you? I'm Actually, I'm just you. I do... Uh, I do speaking around the country and uh, just, you know, any any venue that asks for me to be up here. I just finished, just finished Orlando, Florida with my brother, Daryl Davis, and uh, Syracuse, New York, a conference up there, Oklahoma City, and we've got several more lined up. Nice. Okay. Well, Scott, um, I guess you probably have this down now because you do so much speaking about it, but maybe you can just sort of briefly tell us how you became originally a member of the the KKK. Is that accurate? What was that process like for you? Well, actually, I was born into a uh, dysfunctional family with an alcoholic father who was a very violent alcoholic. Uh, he would beat my mother and abuse the kids, uh, not necessarily physically with the kids, but very, uh, you know, verbally and just uh, any, any way possible except, you know, physical. And there was times where, funeral, I mean, uh, furniture in the house was turned upside down, thrown out of the window into the yard. Wasn't any furniture standing on its feet in the house. And uh, I gave you an example of what uh, kind of what I experienced and saw. Uh, I know you pretty much know what a space heater is in houses. We had a uh, space heater in the house and we'd stand in front of it, keep warm, and uh, right next to that space heater, we had a box. It had some uh, baby kittens in it. And during, and of course, during one of my dad's uh, drunken rages, came in, tore everything up. He reached into that box and threw them about 10 feet and splattered them on the wall. 
Uh. And there's, of course, it's a very, very graphic uh, image that I'm sure you could think of. And at that time, uh, at my age, I was very, very young. It it was like probably something a soldier would see on a battlefield. I was uh, instilled with PTSD. I know my older brother was also, and my older sister, not so much my younger siblings because they were a lot younger and, you know, don't remember the things that was done. This left me with uh, low self-esteem. I didn't like anyone. I didn't like myself. Uh, I had a lot of anger inside. uh, And... I just didn't feel that, you know, I had a home or a family anymore. So I started looking for a place to fit in, and I found that in the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, I even reached out to the Italian Mafia when I was uh, real young, but I didn't didn't get anywhere there because I didn't think, I didn't know the Jets had to be full-blooded Italian to get involved with that, and that kind of knocked me out. And uh, also the new uh, Irish Republican Army that was in New York that was recruiting. But I was, you know, so young and in Mississippi at the time, I wasn't able to travel to New York to uh, get involved with that. So the Ku Klux Klan was just surrounding me uh, in the South where, you know, they were having marches, uh, freedom riders coming in to the uh, Mississippi Delta to try to enhance their, you know, opportunity to vote. And that, that pretty much, uh, you know, where I started, I, I went to uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I had a sister that lived there and I was in her house and uh, looking at her phone book and right there in the, phone book was Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, and it was listed as 700 Florida Boulevard, Denham Springs, Louisiana, which wasn't but about five minutes from where my sister lived. I went into, I got into the car, and I rode past uh, that office several times and never called anyone there. Then I found out that the Imperial Wizard, the leader, was lived on Eden Church Road in Denham Springs, so I went to his house. I went to his house and talked to him and told him what I was looking for, what I wanted to do, and he told me, he said, well, we have a rally in Tupelo, Mississippi, and you're welcome to come, and they encouraged me to come, so I did. And when I got there, the Klansmen put their arms around my uh, shoulders and told me, you know, we will help you and and uh, protect you and, you know, just uh, and teach me. And that's exactly what they did. They just taught me the wrong things. Scott, when, when you were, I guess, with them, um, did you guys have, like, meetings? Did you, did you stay with them? Did you stay in their houses? I mean, how close, what did, how did you? when you found the, the clan oh yes we had meetings uh, on a regular basis uh, you know of course we had set places that you know no one knew about that we would uh, meet at and uh, yes I had stayed in the houses with you know some of the members 
at these rallies that they were having. Uh, I thought I thought they were friends and 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 family, but they really weren't. They were just uh, actually using me and uh, you know, kind of you know, just tried to use me, you know, to benefit their agenda. What did you guys talk about? I mean, was it all about race? Was it all about hating certain groups? What was that like? Well, it was pretty much, you know, uh, common uh, knowledge, you know, that we hated uh, minorities and Jewish people, uh, anybody that wasn't wasn't white. Uh, Now, when I went in, I wasn't raised by racist parents. Uh, in fact, I was raised by uh, a black lady, Rebecca Scott Hawkins. And she was a caretaker for my grandmother. And she actually, I'm named after her. Uh, her name is Rebecca Scott Hawkins. And that's where my name Scott came from. But yes, uh, you know, we talk about different things, that, you know, the national uh, clan groups and national office were doing and what they, you know, had planned on uh, attempting to try that was, uh, neg- you know, very negative uh, actions, activity. Like beyond protests, were, were there plans to, I don't know, vandalize property or commit actual crimes? Ah, yes, ma'am. They, of course, uh, the Klan, of course, is, there's no such thing as the Ku Klux Klan. The, they've got, you know, literally hundreds of Klan groups in this country. And uh, they got different names, but the beliefs are the same. They may vary a little bit with the, uh, you know, tactics that they use, but... Uh, Yes, they, you know, they would talk about, you know, some attacks that they had planned on doing. I'm very fortunate that they had put me into a role of a recruit. And uh, that kept me from being involved in some with the violent activity. But they also have what they call the inner circle. And the inner circle is made up of different clan members that... Uh, even the outside general population of the Klan didn't even know who they were, and they were the ones that were out committing the uh, violence and the, you know, uh, very, you know, very vile and and hardcore violent activity. Scott, when you look back on your time like with the KKK, I guess. Um, what, this was in the 80s, 90s? When was this? Uh, actually, I got started in, in the movement when I was 16 years old. Uh, I officially joined somewhere around uh, uh, 17 years old, uh, possibly 18. And that was, uh, you know, that of course, that was the beginning of me being fully fully naturalized into the clan as a member. What what years were those? Was that in the 80s? Oh, I'm sorry. That was um, the late 70s and through okay. the 80s and up to, you know, a little bit past the 90s. 
1990. When you look back on your time, do you remember like having a thought or having a conversation or committing to some action that you look back on now and, and you think maybe that was one of your most sort of extreme moments and you look back and you think, I can't believe I thought that thing or that I did that thing. Is there something specific that comes to mind? Yes. Uh, I was in Nashville, Tennessee working. Uh, and at the time there was some mail bombs going off in Alabama and Georgia. I think it was, uh, were the two States, Alabama and Georgia. And they, had a gentleman that uh, wanted to make it look like it was a white supremacist plot, you know, towards the government because he was striking out at federal uh, federal judges and uh, lawyers, and some were killed. And I remember cheering that on as a victory to uh, defeating the federal government and. You know, I think about that often because uh, it is definitely wrong. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. When you hear now about, you know, these mass shootings that are, you know, like the El Paso shooting, the church shooting in uh and the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting and the one in Buffalo this past weekend, you know, we often hear about accompanying like manifestos and social media posts, you know, these rantings and ravings that sort of give us insight into the anger against specific identity groups. Do you read what these shooters write and what is your assessment of what you read? Oh, like, I, how do you feel I, when you read that? I do. I do read some that, you know, if I'm, you know, fortunate enough to get a copy of it or or find it. I do read it, and, uh, I, you know, the people that are doing that are very distorted and um, don't have a reality on life. And it leaves me with a very, very deep-seated feeling in the pit of my stomach of, uh, of guilt. And uh, the reason I say guilt is because I recruited a lot of young people I was in the uh, white supremacist movement, and I used the same tactics for them, them that was used on myself. And I feel really guilty because of some of the people that I, you know, allowed to join and recruited, and I may have ruined their life by doing that, uh, getting them involved and allowing them to get involved in the white supremacist movement. Scott, have you talked to Rebecca since you've reformed? Like, have you ever had a conversation with her uh, about where you ended up? Oh, sure. Uh, unfortunately, Rebecca passed away at the age of 104 wow. uh, a couple of years ago. But yes, we we were real close. You know, she was my family and uh, I loved her dearly and she loved me and Actually, she took care of me when I was a baby because I had a grandmother that was very, uh, very well, very mean. And and when I was, she didn't like my dad who uh, married my mother because uh, I guess he wasn't good enough for what he wanted, what she wanted for a daughter. And of course, when I was born, 
she said, uh, I'm not going to have anything to do with him, not going to touch him or anything like that. And she didn't. She, so she just passed me off to Rebecca, and Rebecca took off and raised myself, my older brother, my older sister, and my younger siblings to an extent. They were really young. But uh, Rebecca, Rebecca knew what I had gotten myself into, and I, I kind of isolated myself from her and didn't communicate with her for a long time. You know, any member of her family, because like I said, her family was my family, and we even celebrated holidays together. And, uh, you know, just Rebecca was a caterer, and she would cook uh, holiday meals for us, and uh, she she pretty much stayed away from uh, myself. And I was I did before she passed away. Year, a few years before she passed away, was able to reconcile with her. And when I went to her house after being in the movement, I knocked on the door. And when I knocked on the door, uh, she came and she thought I was my son, but it uh, wasn't. But she opened the door and saw me. And just her reaction of opening her arms and, and grabbing me and hugging me and said, her. Her words were, ah, my baby's home, my baby's home. It's really emotional. And it was really never anything ta- uh, mentioned about, you know, my wife's supremacist life after that. And she told me, she said, I, I knew that someday you'd be back home. And I was glad to be home. It's so confusing to hear that you were, you know, raised by a black woman and then you went down that road, you know, do, do you ever sort of reflect on that inconsistency in your life? Like how you could I do. I do. I was, like I said, with my dysfunctional family, with my dad, I was, I was so eat up with anger and hatred, self, uh, well, self hatred and not liking myself and not liking anyone. All these, all these feelings kind of, uh, uh, took over and, and, it, you know, with my relationship with Rebecca, it just, uh, you know, it just, you know, took, you know, overrode that. Scott, because you do follow the news now and you read some of the shooters, uh, the mass shooters manifestos or, or their social media posts and, and their motivations now, and you, you do have some uh, insight into how they're feeling. What is your, what are your thoughts about um, why this is happening? Why hatred and, and racism is persistent to the, you know today to the point where some people feel the need to act out violently? Um, what what could be done? I guess in in your mind, what what should be done? Because we still have people in this country who are you know extremely motivated by hatred based on race. Well, we have a lot uh, motivated by hatred and, uh, and you know, racial, uh, well, racial hatred also. But uh, I think uh, I see it more now after I've, I've been on the, you know, traveling the country and speaking and things like that. People that I knew, uh, knew in the, the area that I grew up in, in southern Mississippi, 
Indianola, Mississippi, which is home of B.B. King and also the White Citizens Council, which is the upper echelon of uh, the Ku Klux Klan. But I don't, I, I'm not sure I, I have heard that uh, the man in Buffalo, that his parents were racist. So that may have, you know, if that's true, that may have played a part in in him becoming uh, filled with hatred and, you know, getting involved in the white supremacy ideology. But, you know, it it just takes it takes its toll on the people and they just snap. You know, we call them lone wolves. People like uh, the man in uh, Buffalo, we call them lone wolves. And the bad thing about it is that they're indoctrinated right there in their own home, sitting in front of a computer. Well, a lot of people in law enforcement and, and others blame the media and social media specifically. Um, I know you, you know, joined the KKK at a time when there was no social media, but there's a lot of talk now that that's, you know, uh, to blame because it, uh, you know, allows people to communicate. It creates these communities online. Do you see it that way, that, that social media and the media is to blame for, you know, some of the things we see and hear now? Well, I don't necessarily blame the media because the media can't control what is put out on social media. And, uh, of course, they report it, and uh, it's very much needed to be reported because people need to see what's going on and uh, realize that uh, racism is alive and well. But it's a, you know, no-win situation as far as, you know, like I said, the Internet, they can just, uh, you know, look up these organizations, you know, by their websites and and read them. They got uh, white supremacist chat rooms. So it's very easy for them to find the white supremacist groups and you know start the indoctrination and they pick it up and then it just you know explodes from there tell me a little bit before i let you go about um i think the most obvious thing right how did you sort of deprogram how did you get out of this mindset did you meet someone did you go to a dinner did you uh, was it a moment or was it a process to sort of leave the ideology you had well, I think I think uh, for myself, uh, of course, it was two things. It, there was a, uh, a a process, and then there was also an incident that happened that you know got you know guided me uh, out of the movement. Uh, of course, Rebecca Scott Hawkins, you know, like I said, I love her dearly. There was always this little. Uh, voice in the back of my mind asking, you know, saying, do you really believe the things that you're preaching and and doing? Mm-hmm. But I, no, I ignored that because I was so eat up with hatred and self, uh, self-hatred. But uh, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I was at a restaurant and I was having, uh, having dinner and also had some alcoholic drinks. When I left, I was actually I was being watched by law enforcement and the FBI because of things I had said about the mail bombs, and also I had put together a rally in Pulaski, Tennessee, which is the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan. 
uh, like I said, and then, of course, law enforcement was watching me. I left that restaurant and got, got about a mile down the road, and uh, police pulled me over. When they pulled me over, uh, I opened the car door, and there was not just one police officer. There was an ocean of blue lights. There was a lot. And I was given a field sobriety test, and I failed that. And I also had an illegal assault rifle inside my vehicle underneath the front seat of my car. I had that, and of course, they sent me and took me and put me in jail. But when I went before the judge, I t- you know, I, as you always do, I said, well, I, you know, I'm going to go to an alcohol and drug treatment center and get the paperwork and come back to the judge and have the charges dropped. And that's exactly what I did, and it worked. But what I didn't realize was when I went into that treatment center, uh, I was pulled over to the side by the director. And he told me, he said, you know, we've got people of all races, uh, religion, sexual preference, you know, are you going to be able to, you know, handle that? And I said, sure, I just want to get my paperwork and go back to the judge and get charges dropped and go on with my my racist life. But I didn't realize that when I walked in that door, I walked into that treatment center of one person and came out another. And that's where I think another seed was planted for me to leave the white supremacist movement. I was also running for governor of the state of Tennessee at the time. And of course, it was crazy. I was, you know, running a campaign for a uh, governor inside of alcohol drug treatment when you say a seed was planted, what what's was it just the conversations you had during the treatment? Yes, the seed there was a seed planting because I walked in and there was people of all races, like like the man said, the director of all races, religion, sexual preferences, uh, just uh, people of you know a gamut of all people that you know that I had been. Uh, showing anger towards and and criticizing and and really uh you know you know sending out bad uh uh messages to but the thing about it is that these people that i that were there they were showing me love respect and compassion and these are the same like i said the same people that i had been showing anger towards and condemning and like that's where the seed was planted there because i had never experienced that before yeah it sounds like you joined the kkk looking for community and then when you found a different community it you know you were able to to leave exactly exactly and i left that uh treatment center and when i left the treatment center a different you know somewhat of a different person I didn't really grasp what had happened inside that treatment center, and I kind of ignored it, and I did go on with my racist life, but I had a sister in Baton Rouge that lived, lived there, and I, you know, I, I went to visit her, and she had breast cancer, and was stage four breast cancer, and I was there with her in the hospital, 
and it was just her and I sitting there talking and she asked me, she says, Scott, do you regret the things that you have done over the, over the years and uh, many years, actually over 20 years? Do you regret it? And I said, yes, I do very much so. And she said, you know, you can take that uh, experience and turn it around and help other people. And I heard what she said. Of course, she passed away two days later. But, uh, yes, I, you know, I, understand, I heard what she said and I understood it. But, again, I kind of ignored it. And then I went back to uh, Memphis, where I was living at the time, and I got sick myself. And uh, I went, you know, went to the hospital and I have no doubt in my mind what caused my illness. And it was all the anger and hatred and guilt that I was holding in, inside me and, and spouting off about. And I ended up having had three-fourths of my stomach removed. And I ended up uh, almost dying. Uh, course after that i was sent home and i was doing doing my recovery there at home and i had seen a gentleman on uh tv when i was inside the movement and i thought he was a crackpot for what he was doing he was meeting with active clan members and uh different groups and trying to uh not really convert them but uh have them, you know, just have a sit down and have a conversation with them to find out, you know, actually what made them tick and why they got involved. And he's been very successful in remove, getting over 200 clansmen out of the movement. You know, huh. of course, if you, if you get one, you still got a victory. But he's, you know, he's uh, direct, di- directly and indirectly uh, had you know, been successful with 200. And his name is Daryl Davis, a musician from uh, Silver Springs, Maryland. And like I said, I thought he was a crackpot, but when I was laying at home, (laughs) laying at home doing my uh, recovery, the Discovery Channel came on. And when the Discovery Channel came on, they were featuring Daryl Davis there. And what he had to say made sense. Uh, you know, I could relate to it to him at that time. So I reached out to him on uh, social media. I reached out to him and he responded. We uh, exchanged phone numbers and he even flew down from Maryland to uh, Memphis at the time to, uh, you know, at a time that when I, you know, like I said, was recovering and still pretty sick to visit me. And that made a big impression on me. And doing, you know, doing that, uh, a relationship with him and myself developed. And we had a lot in common. I was born in Mississippi Delta where the music was blues music. And Daryl was a blues uh, boogie woogie piano player and has played with chuck berry jerry lee and a number of uh, uh big uh entertainers but daryl again opened his arms and heart and soul and took me under his wing and daryl davis is my brother today 
Scott Shepard, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and for your time. We appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. I sure appreciate y'all having me on. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.